You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Good morning. It's great to see all of you. If you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we did have a great time Friday night and yesterday with all the married couples. And for those of you who came, thank you for uh, just being a part of that. And my wife and I, and really our church, we love your pastor and his wife. Um, We have been involved in ministry with them for a lot of years, dating back to the days that they were in Hungary. And it's a blessing to see what God's doing uh, here in Whitefields Church. And I was here six years ago and with you all in the community center and uh, just was overjoyed to see that God opened up this beautiful facility for you guys and just uh, praying and looking forward to seeing what God is going to do in this uh facility and with you guys here in this place. But today we're going to be looking at what Jesus has to say about stress and worry. So I want you to turn your attention to verse 25. Jesus says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Let's pause right there and let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we just thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together on this snowy morning here in Colorado. And Lord, we pray that that you by your Holy Spirit would just meet us right now in this moment. I pray that your word would go forth in power and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. So there was a businessman in a small town in Mount Vernon, Texas. And this guy decided that he wanted to open a new bar. He was actually going to build a new bar there in this little town. Well, there was one of the churches there that wasn't happy about that. They didn't want to have a new bar in their town. And so they decided to protest the opening of this new bar, the building of this new bar with petitions and prayers. Well, the construction went on for, you know, several months and it got to the point where it was one week before the bar was supposed to open and there was a horrific storm on this one night and lightning hit the bar and literally burned it to the ground. Well, the bar owner, in response to that, decided to sue the church on the grounds that the church's prayers were ultimately responsible for the demise of his building. Now, the church, though, they denied all responsibility or any connection to the building's demise. And so the case went to court. And the judge who was presiding over the the case, he said, I don't know how I'm going to rule this one because it seems that we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation that doesn't. (laughs) Do you know what the opposite of prayer is? It's worry. It's been said that worry is prayer in reverse. That worry is grabbing a hold of tomorrow and dragging it into today. And here in Matthew chapter 6, we find that Jesus 
is talking to a group of people, and he's going to address this subject about stress and worry. And there in verse 25, again, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or about the body. And what's interesting is that we need to understand who he's talking to here. The context, the, the audience here, is they lived in an agrarian society. So these were a lot of farmers. They were a very hardworking group of people. And things like food, water, and clothing were big issues to them. They were daily concerns to them. Those were things that they worried about a lot. You see, they did not have closets full of clothes, and they did not have in that culture refrigerators full of food. So food and clothing were literally daily necessities. A lot of the people in that culture had maybe one or two garments tops. Now, as we think about what Jesus is saying here about don't worry about food and don't worry about clothes, th those are things that, that we're really not worried about a whole lot at all. We're not worried today about if we're going to eat. We're maybe worried about where we're going to eat. You know, it's like after church, if, if, it's, if you guys are like our church, a lot of people in our church after church, they like to go out, you know, for breakfast or they want to go out for lunch. And so, you know, they're worried about where they're going to go and if everybody's going to agree on the restaurant that they're going to go and if the restaurant is even going to be open. And, and so, you know, they're worried about that. They're worried about, you know, I, I feel feel like Italian, but my wife wants Mexican. And, and so are we going to be able to agree? And by the way, Nick and Rosemary took us to a great Italian place yesterday, last night. And I can't remember the name of it, but ask Nick. It, you probably know it's really, really, it was awesome. It's really, really good. But, but they, we're not worried about that. We're not worried about if we're going to eat. We're not worried about, you know, what we're going to wear. Most of us, we have closets full of clothes. That's not an issue for us. But people in the first century, they might have been even prone to look at us and think, you know, looking at what we have and think, man, you guys, you probably don't have a care in the world. I mean, you've got everything, but we do have worries. We just worry about different things. We worry about our jobs and if our job is going to still be there next week. We worry about things like mortgages. Are we going to be able to pay our mortgage? We worry about the stock market. We worry about retirement, if we're going to be able to retire. We worry about paying for college for our kids. We worry about paying for weddings because they're so expensive these days. We worry about our health. We worry about, are we going to be able to pay for our health needs? Those of us who are in the boomer generation, we worry about if we're going to be able to take care of our aging parents. And our aging parents worry about if there's going to be somebody around to take care of them when they can't take care of themselves. So there's a lot of things that we worry about. And I think in this passage, we're going to see that Jesus challenges us in three ways. He gives us what we might call three cures for worry, to not worry, three things that he wants us to realize and remember. And if you're taking notes, the first thing that Jesus wants us to remember is our value as a child of God. Look at verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now check this out. Jesus says, look at the birds. They're not having ulcers. They're not downing maylocks. You know, they're, they're not stressed out. 
And then he asks this big question. He says, are you not of more value than they? And the answer to that question is yes. God did not send his only begotten son, Jesus, to come and die on the cross for the birds. He didn't send his only begotten son, Jesus, to come and die on the cross for the animal kingdom. No, God valued you and I so much, and he valued having a relationship with us, that he sent his son, he had Jesus leave heaven and come to this earth so that he could go to a cross and die on that cross to pay the price for our sin so that he could save you and bring you into a relationship with himself. Now think about that. What sense would it make for God to go to all of that great expense in order to save you and then just leave you hanging? What sense would that make for him to say, okay, now you're saved. I hope you can figure it out. I mean, it would be like one of you ladies carrying a little baby in your tummy for nine months, going through 20 hours of labor with that child and bringing that child into the world and say, okay, I brought you into the world. Now you're on your own. You know, it wouldn't make sense. We wouldn't do that. I love the way that Paul the Apostle puts it in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, when he says, since he, speaking of God, did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? He's saying, look, he already gave you his best. Don't you know he's going to take care of your needs? Because he values you. He values that relationship with you in the same way that you and I, we value our kids and we want them to feel secure. If they have a need, we want them to know that they can come to us. We want them to have that confidence that we are there for them. I mean, think of this. How would you feel if sometime this week you're driving home from work and you see your son or daughter out on the side of the road and they're begging for food. They've got one of those little signs. I mean, how would that make you feel? I mean, you'd pull up and go, what are you doing out here? And what if they said, well, I, I just didn't know if you were going to make dinner tonight, you know? I mean, how crazy would that be? You'd be like, don't I always make dinner? Or don't I always make sure that you have something to eat? Now, we don't want our kids to take, for, uh, take us for granted or take for granted what we do for them, but we do want them to live with a sense of a confidence that, hey, I love you, and I'm here for you, and I want you to be able to come to me. Well, that's God's heart. And God's heart is the first thing that Jesus wants us to understand here is that we are highly valued by God. Way more than the birds, way more than the animals. He says, look at the birds. And the idea is they're not stressing about their provision, so why should you? Because you're a lot more valuable than they are. Have you ever thought about this? Each and every day when you wake up, what are the birds doing? They're singing, right? Birds are singing. I mean, they wake up and they're just, they, they're just, they don't have a care in the world. They're just singing. And I think the Lord would love for us to stress less and sing more. So Jesus says, look at the birds. Look at this comparison. Which of you, he says next in verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Another way to say that is Jesus is asking the question, does worry accomplish anything? And the answer is no. In fact, the word worry in the Greek language means to be torn apart. And I think this is a great description of what worry does. It tears you apart. I picture, and we've all seen this, you know, in the movies. I, I picture a, a boat 
out in the ocean in the midst of a horrific storm. And in the midst of that storm, the waves are, are tossing that boat to and fro. And then finally, as the waves are just crashing against this boat, that boat literally just splits in half. It's torn apart. That's what worry does. It tears us apart. It, it, our lives are, are torn apart by uncertainty and unrest. Corrie ten Boom, who was a survivor of the persecution of Nazi Germany, said this about worry. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it empties today of its strength. That's so true. That's what worry does. It just zaps the strength right out of us. Now, it's interesting. Our English word worry comes from an Anglo-Saxon word, which literally means to strangle. And I think that, too, is another great picture of what worry does, is it strangles your peace. It strangles your joy. It strangles the life right out of you. And I think every single one of us in this room know what that feels like. That we've had those moments and those times where we're worried, we're just stressed out, we're worried about something. It's like the life has been taken out of us. And maybe some of you in this room are in that place right now. Worry has a stranglehold upon you. It was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great Bible teacher uh, who has since gone to heaven, said this. The result of worrying about the future is that you are crippling yourself in the present. And, you know, as a pastor, I see a lot of people who are crippled by worry to the point that they can't make decisions. They can't move. Their, their marriages are being torn apart. So Jesus is telling us here, look, worry doesn't do any good, but it does do a lot of bad. In fact, I want you to notice the way Jesus wraps this whole conversation up in verse 34. If you skip down to that, he says this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Dr. E. Stanley Jones put it this way, worry is the interest that we pay on tomorrow's troubles. And Jesus is saying, look, when we worry, we're dragging tomorrow's troubles into today. And don't you understand, today has enough troubles of its own. We don't need to add to it, right? There's much going on. Now, so Jesus is saying worry doesn't accomplish anything. It only tears apart. But look at verse 28. He says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So Jesus wants us to understand, first of all, our value to God. The second thing he wants us to remember is our Father's care. And he does that by way of comparison. He says, look at the lilies, this awesome, beautiful flower standing out there in the midst of the field. He says, look, look at the lily. It doesn't toil. It doesn't spin. It's not out there straining, in other words. The lily, the flower, isn't out there wondering, am I going to make it through today? 
They're just simply standing tall in the sunlight like they don't have a care in the world. The lilies are simply just shining. They're beaming the beauty of being a part of God's creation that God has created them. And they're really, they're doing what they've been designed to do, to be this beacon of God's creative power and grace. And I think that's really how God wants us to live. That's what Jesus is getting at here when he says, hey, look at the lilies. They're not straining. They're not toiling. They're not, they're not out there. They're freaking out. And then he says, that, that, look at the lily. They're more beautiful than Solomon in all of his glory. Now, if you know anything about Solomon, in Solomon's day, he was the Jeff Bezos of his day. I mean, he was the richest guy in the world. He was always decked out in the finest threads, the finest clothes that were imported from you know, various places in the world. And he had this massive wealth. And he would have been today, you know, every month, Solomon's like on the cover of GQ magazine. That, that's who he was. But Jesus is saying, look, he doesn't even compare. Solomon in all of his glory doesn't compare to the lily. And when Jesus says, look at the lily, he literally means look close. The idea is, you know, get a magnifying glass out and put the lily under the magnifying glass. And if you ever do have done something like that with a flower, you know what happens when you begin to magnify it? It only reveals the greater glory and the greater beauty, the intricacy of God's creation. But you know what? If you took the magnifying glass and you put it on Solomon's clothes, you would see its flaws. You'd see the flaws in the design. You'd see the flaws in the stitching. And this is the point that Jesus is making. Look at the lily. Magnify it. Look at it close and see how grand it is, how, how amazing it is. And God did that for it. But look at Solomon. Put him under the magnifying glass. You know, everything that the world has to give, and you'll see the flaws in it. The point is that Jesus is making the Father takes care of the lily, and he's going to take care of you. And friends, here's the thing. When we get caught up in worry, it really shows that we're not trusting God. When we get caught up in worry, it, it shows that our faith in God is faltering, that we're doubting his care, that we're doubting his ability. Now, I want to pause right there and just say this for a minute, though. I do think there is a difference between anxiety, being anxious, and worrying. I think being anxious is more of a reaction. It's a, it's a feeling. It's like an emotion. I was sharing with the people at the conference that our grandson, his name is Josiah. He's three years old. And about a month ago, he was having this thing was going on with him where we wasn't sure if it was like a seizure or, you know, what was happening. He just couldn't open his eyes. We took him to the doctor and they ended up rushing him by ambulance to Rady's Children's Hospital. And um, even on the ambulance ride, he passed out in the ambulance. And, and we were, I, I got to tell you, in that moment, I was anxious. My, I, was, I had these like, feelings of anxiety and I was trying not to worry. I was battling. You see, worrying is when we give into those anxious thoughts. And that's why when Paul talks about the book of Philippians, he says, be anxious for nothing. By, and the way we combat that is by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. And we bring our hearts to the Lord. And he says that in the midst of that, God meets us in that anxious moment with a peace that surpasses all understanding. So, it's important 
that we realize and we understand that we're going to have moments where we get an anxious thought or an anxious feeling, but we don't want to give in to that. And that's the point that Jesus is making here. You know, there was a man who was rushing through an airport one day. He was afraid he was going to miss his flight. And he's weaving in and out of the crowd in a way that would make an NFL running back proud. I mean, he was just had some moves. And all of a sudden, though, he ran into a man in a flight or in a pilot's uniform. And the pilot said to him, you know, hey, bro, slow down. What's your hurry? He says, well, I'm afraid I'm going to miss my flight. And the pilot said, well, what flight are you on? He says, I'm on uh, Delta Flight 334 to Austin. And the pilot smiled and said, relax. I'm the pilot of that plane. It's not going anywhere until I get there, and I'll make sure you get on the plane. Well, suddenly, the guy that was all worried, the guy that was running and stressing, he's like, just chill. He's like, kicking back. He's like, this is awesome. I'm with the pilot. I can relax. Well, that's what God wants us to understand, that he's got us, that he's with us, that he's going to take care of us. And I think our knowing who God is and our relationship with him should cause us to relax, to live with a sense of confidence rather than fear. Even in the midst of this crazy world that we're living in right now. It reminds me of the story of a janitor who worked at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And what he had to do every night was he would clean the building. But there were a group of students that loved to play basketball in the gym in the evening. So the gymnasium was the last part of the building that he would clean because he'd have to wait for the students to be done. So a lot of times he'd be sitting in the bleachers there as the, as the students were you know, playing ball and he would just be reading his Bible. And one of the times after the the students were done playing, and, you know, sometimes seminary students can be a little bit prideful. You know, they have a lot of knowledge and whatnot. And and so one of them said to this janitor, he said, you know, hey, hey, janitor, what are you reading there in in the Bible? He says, "I'm, I'm reading the book of Revelation. And they said, Revelation, wow, do you even understand it? And the janitor responded saying, yeah, I understand it. it. It tells us that Jesus wins. You know, that's so true, right? I think that's what we need to remember in the the midst of of just the craziness of our world is that, hey, Jesus wins. We know how this ends. We we know what's happening and and where we're going. So Jesus here is saying, look, first of all, here's the first cure for worry is know that you are highly valued by God. Secondly, know that how much God deeply cares for you. And then look at verse 31. He says, therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The third cure for for worry is to understand that the Father knows your needs and that he loves to take care of your needs. I love the way that Luke writes And he adds something to this account in his gospel. I'll read it to you in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Luke adds these words. And do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't that amazing to think about? He says, look, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, God is saying, it's I get pleasure in blessing you. I want to ask you something. Do you believe that? I got to tell you, the first time I ever read that verse in the Bible, I about fell on my chair because I lived a lot of years in my relationship with with God of feeling like I had to do things to earn his favor. 
that I had to do things to earn his blessing. And I read this verse, and it's basically telling us that God is just like you and I. He enjoys blessing his parents, or his children. That's how we are as parents, right? That's how we are as grandparents. I love to take my, my grandson Josiah to the store with me because every time I take him, I always get him some kind of a treat. Because that's my job as a grandpa is to spoil him, right? You know, and I love that. And I love just as he gets so excited and he knows like, okay, you know, I'm going with Poppy and Poppy's going to get me something. And I, and I love, I get pleasure out of that. That's God's heart. He says, I love to take care of you. I'm that kind of father. So God says, I value you. I know your needs. I enjoy caring for you. Now, here's the thing, church. If we really believe those truths, it should radically affect the way that we live. It should radically affect the way that we approach life. And this is exactly what Jesus is suggesting when he comes to verse 33 and gives what really should be our response to the reality that God values us and God cares for us and God gets blessed. He takes pleasure in meeting our needs that Jesus says, look at verse 33, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added to you. The word seek there means to pursue. It even means to crave. And you know what the most convicting word is in verse 33? It's the word first, to seek first. You see, if Jesus merely said, hey, seek the kingdom of God, then we could say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add that to the list. If he said, just, hey, make sure that you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we'd say, yeah, I'll make sure that, you know, I'll make that one of the priorities of my life. And hopefully later on today or later on this month, I'll be able to get to that. But when Jesus says to seek first, that word first is saying that it needs to be our number one priority, that it needs to be first in order of importance, First in priority, it needs to be that which holds the highest place of of affection there in our hearts. So his kingdom is to hold the, the place of the highest importance in our lives. And that's exactly the way that Jesus modeled for us as the way he lived as a human being. In fact, did you know that Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God than anything else? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is mentioned more than 126 times in the Gospels. We read in Mark's Gospel where Jesus began his public ministry, and it says that Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The message that he preached was the kingdom of God. That was his focus. And he demonstrated the power of the kingdom with his miracles and the healings that he did. And then after his resurrection, when Jesus meets with his disciples and he's spending time with them for 40 days, guess what he's talking to them about? We're told in Acts chapter one, verse three, that he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, not because the kingdom was just another thing that they needed to learn. But in reality, the kingdom of God was the framework for everything that they needed to learn. According to Jesus, what matters most in our life is the kingdom of God. Now, here's the question, though. What does it mean 
for us to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Well, the kingdom starts with the king. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, the kingdom of God is already among you. Why was it among you? Because Jesus, the king of the kingdom, was among them. And so to seek first the kingdom, first of all, means to prioritize his person. It's prioritizing in our lives that we're going to seek first the person of Jesus Christ. That we're going to seek first drawing near to him. That we're going to put a priority on our devotional life. That we're going to put a priority on intimacy, building intimacy with Jesus. That we're going to put a priority and really believe what Jesus said when he said, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. But we see earlier in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus taught his disciples to pray And one of the things he said, when you pray, pray in this way, Father, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there Jesus was teaching his disciples and us that we're not seeking first the kingdom is not just prioritizing his person, but it's prioritizing his purpose. You see, seeking the kingdom involves being preoccupied above all else with what is important to Jesus. It's desiring his will and his rule in my life. To seek first the kingdom of God is to prioritize his kingdom in your life. And his kingdom speaks of his agenda. It speaks of his rule. It speaks of his heart. It's basically saying, Lord, I want your way over my way. I want your will over my will. I want your agenda over my agenda for my life, for my family, for my career, for every aspect of my life. It's understanding and realizing that that Jesus has invited us to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves, his kingdom. That's what he means when he says, seek first the kingdom. Jesus wants you and I to understand that we have been invited to be a part of something that is huge, the kingdom of God. Now, I'm a believer that we are living in the last days. How many of you feel that way, that we're living in the last days? I don't know exactly what that means, you know, how much longer the time that we have, but I think it's quite possible. I want you to think about this for a minute. I think it's quite possible that we might be the last generation on planet Earth prior to Jesus coming for his church. I want you to think about that. Think about how crazy that is, how how amazing that is, how, how wonderful that is, that God says, look, you're the ones that I've chosen to have on planet Earth And here in this area of Longmont, Colorado, you're the the people that I've chosen to be here to represent me and to be a part of my kingdom and be a part of my kingdom business in these last days. Guys, that's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a great privilege. It's meant to be something that we grab a hold of and say, this is amazing that God, who knows all things, has chosen to put us here in this place and in this season and in this time for such a time as this. It's like Esther. And God has put us here on the earth at this time, that we have a purpose to play in his kingdom, that he says that you and I are his ambassadors 
Well, what's an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who lives in another country and represents the king of the country that sent him. We are here to represent our king, King Jesus, here on this planet, and he's seeking to have his kingdom invade this kingdom so that people come to know who he is and what his heart is. And I think life takes on a whole new perspective when we realize that Jesus has invited us to be a part of something like this. That's easy, you know, for us to get so caught up in our little world and our little stuff. And that's what gets us to worry. We get so focused on the horizontal plane and we forget about the vertical plane. You know, recently I was asked by a group to be a part of a, a team of pastors that that just encourages other pastors and other church planners. And, and, and I gladly, I love to do that type of thing. And I was like, yes, I would love to be a part of that. And what's interesting about that is, you know, in my world, you know, whatever you, you do for your profession, you know, that's the thing that you're kind of focused on. Well, for me, I'm a pastor. I pastor a church. And if you didn't know, pastoring a church during this season right now of COVID is kind of crazy, you know? It's been one of those things where you can't do anything right. You know, you have people who are always, you know, looking at what you're doing and thinking that you should have done something else. But it's interesting, when I accepted this role to encourage others. And I start talking to other pastors and, and, and I'm dialoguing and, and meeting with other guys and hearing about what's going on in their church. Suddenly, you know, I had a whole new perspective about what was going on in mine. I began to, to care less about what my problems were because I was more focused on what their problems were and how the Lord might want to use me to help them. And I think this is a big part of why Jesus throws this out and says, hey, I want you to be seeking first my kingdom because when you do that, you come to a place of understanding that you see, you see everything else in the right perspective. So, he says, so seeking first the kingdom of God means that, that I'm going to desire his will above my will. It means that, that I'm not going to pick and choose parts of the Bible that I like and don't like because I'm committed to my king. Seeking first the kingdom is looking at life through that kingdom lens. It's asking myself, what would Jesus do? How would he respond? How would he react to this situation? What does he think about this situation? As we are leading or heading towards the, the, the whole voting process here, you know, looking at voting through, again, that kingdom lens of, of what does this mean in this candidate or, you know, this issue? What does it mean in relationship to the kingdom of God? Seeking first the kingdom, he says. That's the first thing. And his righteousness. So he doesn't want us just to prioritize his person and prioritize his purpose, but also to prioritize his righteousness. What does he mean by to seek first his righteousness? I want to give you three quick things. First of all, it means prioritizing our personal holiness. That we want to live lives that are absent of compromise. Because we don't want to do anything that might cut us off from his blessing. We don't want to do anything that might disqualify us from being used. So it's prioritizing his righteousness. It's, it's prioritizing our personal holiness. Number two, it means seeking after his righteousness is standing for righteousness in our culture. It's, say, it's saying, I'm going to be a champion for the things that represent and are in line with my king and his kingdom. 
And finally, number three, seeking first his righteousness means treating others rightly. It's treating them with respect and realizing that they are people that God valued so much that he sent his son Jesus to come and die on the cross for them. And what's beautiful about this is Jesus ends this whole discussion with this promise that we see in the second part of verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. C.S. Lewis put it this way. When, we, when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but they are increased. So in other words, what he's saying is what matters most gives perspective to anything that matters at all. So prioritizing his kingdom and his righteousness does not minimize the other aspects of your life. It simply puts them in perspective. The kingdom of God doesn't have to compete with our hobbies and our relationships and the other important aspects of our life. No, if rightly understood, the kingdom of God will enhance every area of our life, infusing it with meaning and significance. So Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's going to put everything else in perspective. You're going to find that all things are added to you, that your needs, they're going to be taken care of. So we remember today, the cure for worry is to understand and, and know that we are valued by God, to understand how much that our Father cares for us, to know that our Father takes pleasure in meeting our needs. And in response to that, we follow this mandate, this exhortation of our Lord. You be mindful, you be focused on my kingdom, and seeking after righteousness. And watch and see how I move and work in your life. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you care so much for us. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who takes pleasure in blessing your people. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here in this room that we would live with this kingdom mindset, that we would know and understand that you have called us to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. That you've called us in this day and age, in this crazy world that we're living in right now, to be your ambassadors. And so, Lord, I pray today that as we turn, take our eyes off of the horizontal, off of all the things that maybe we're, we're worried about, and right now, we just put our perspective vertical on you who loved us enough to go to the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be set free, so that we could live in relationship with you, so that we could fulfill this amazing calling that you've given to us to be ambassadors in your kingdom. Lord, I pray today that we would see the incredible blessing and privilege that that is. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. 
For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. 